Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. With a new podcast every day of the Premier League season, this is Football Social Daily. Hello, happy Friday and welcome to another episode of Football Social Daily. Daily Premier League news, daily opinions on the football stories that really matter and daily Southampton hatred from our resident Pompey fan, Niall McCorn. How are you doing, Niall? <laughs> Blue Army! Yeah, I'm good, mate. Yeah, how are you? <laughs> yeah, I'm all right, So We've also got the uh, daily Liverpool loving from Steve McNaughton today. How are you doing, Steve? Oh, absolutely terrific, Jim. <laughs> good to hear. I am Jim Salverson, and on today's pod, we're going to be talking Europa League after a full house of strong results for the trio of Premier League teams who were involved last night. Leicester City through, Arsenal through, Spurs on the cusp of qualification to the last 32 as well. We'll review how they got on in their matches in a little bit. Plus, Friday night football is back tonight with the mouth-watering prospect of Crystal Palace versus Newcastle. It's going to be really fascinating to see how two teams who don't like leaving their own half play against each other. I think it's going to be like a game of tennis, just pinging it back and forward. Uh, we'll get onto that game shortly, we'll get our teeth into it. Maybe the boys have a different opinion to me. But let's kick off with those European games, shall we? Tottenham beat... I'm not even going to bother with the pronunciation after the... The ribbon I got Ludogratz. yesterday from there we go. Lugaretz Razgrad, is it? Yeah, don't worry about the Razgrad <laughs> bit, Jim. I'd say. Have you right. ever played the game Ludo? Do you remember the game Ludo? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Why don't we just call them Ludo? How about that? Okay. Spurs versus Ludo last night. It was yes. another good win for Spurs. <laughs> a few days after beating Tottenham in the Premier League. Sorry, a few days after beating City in the Premier League. Does it look? And I say this with caution, Niall, because A, I'm not a massive fan of Spurs as a West Ham fan, and B, Spurs do have that ability to be very Spursy. But have Tottenham found something a little bit special? First of all, I want to say I'm glad we're talking about the Europa League today because it's 12 years since AC Milan rocked up at Fratton Park and got given the scare of their lifetime and required Filippo Inzaghi to poke a last-minute equaliser in after Carnu 
had uh, <laughs> put us in front and Eunice Kabul had put us two in front. So uh, uh, bringing back wow. some good memories today, talking about the UEFA Cup days 12 years ago. Um, and it just goes to show how much football can change in that time. As for Tottenham, um, the commentator for last night's game on BT Sport was actually a Pompey fan himself, a guy called Ian Dark. And he posted on Twitter after the game, he said that that was possibly the worst European performance he's ever seen. And this is a guy who's been commentating for 30, 40 years. And he said that Luda Goretz's performance against Tottenham was one of the worst he's ever seen. Now, I didn't watch the game, I must be honest. I did see Harry Winks's absolute blinder of a goal. Whether he meant it or not is irrelevant. It turned out to be a brilliant goal. Um, swizzing it in from the halfway line almost and hitting the crossbar and post and, and catching the keeper off guard and going in. But... For Ian Dark, someone who's watched so many football games um, and commentated on so many matches to say that Luda Goretz were dreadful last night, um, I'm happy to take his word for it, having not watched the game in full, admittedly. Um, so I don't think we can read too much into Tottenham Hotspur, a Premier League side who did reach the Champions League final two years ago and have been a consistent top four contender in one of the most competitive European leagues beating a Bulgarian side that uh, uh, more often than not are at the top end of their league. But the comparisons to be had between the two sides, I think it's irrelevant, to be fair. Tottenham are always expected to win. I mean, it's more of a shock if Tottenham draw or lose than win. You know, Tottenham could have won 11-0 against Ludogorets and it would have been more of a surprise had Ludogorets got a draw. That is the sort of nature of some of these Europa League games. So I don't think we can read too much into Tottenham really kind of having the bit between their teeth in this particular match. But certainly winning breeds winning, as the old cliche goes. And Jose Mourinho has a habit of keeping teams on a roll. And the fact that they did beat Manchester City earlier on this week, as you've already alluded to, Jim, would be a massive boost for the confidence. And I think that Jose said in interviews that he's happy with the squad. The squad depth is there. A goal last night for Vinicius or a couple of goals for him would do him the world of good, having joined in the summer and obviously playing second fiddle to Harry Kane is not what any striker wants, but to kind of put yourself in the frame as an ample replacement um, would give him a bit of confidence to do that when he does get called upon. So plenty of positives for Tottenham last night, a little bit of luck. um, And, you know, they don't have to go into the weekend against Chelsea with that added pressure of having lost embarrassingly to uh, a European minnow. Yes, it was potentially not top-level European opposition, Steve, but there are still positives there for Spurs. I mean, you can only beat who's in front of you, and it was a much-changed team that Tottenham put out last night. There was no Kane, there was no Son, to name two of their key players. So surely they have to take some positives from that. The fact that there is squad depth there, as Niall says, is going to be a massive positive for them looking ahead to the next three quarters of the season. Absolutely. Jose's... I've said before on the podcast, Jose is, is building something at Tottenham and some of the signings have raised eyebrows previously, you know, with the type of player he's gone for, but he has got the luxury of being able to rotate and I think there's an art in signing players and building a squad where you can bring people in and, and they can get a result. Um, you know, obviously, you know, Venetia scoring a couple of goals last night was really encouraging for them. I think, you know, Deli Ali. Uh, get getting an opportunity. I mean, Delhi Ali's a bit of an enigma, isn't he? He's, it's it's a really strange situation with Delhi, but Spurs have options, and I think they'll be encouraged by that. And I, I fancied him to do quite well in the Europa League this season. I think if they continue to take it seriously, I think they can, you know, put themselves as the team to beat in it. What about Delhi Ali then, Niall? Because he did get a game last night, and he was one of the standout players for Tottenham as well. Certainly from the highlights that I've watched. What does that say about him? Does that say there is a potential route back in for him at Spurs because it seemed like 
from the outside that his career was pretty much finished at Tottenham? Or does it just show that actually maybe his level is Bulgarian league teams? <laughs> I wouldn't go that far. I think that's harsh on Deli Ali. Let's not forget he's been a professional player since he was 15. Obviously not technically professional in terms of contract, but he's been playing professional football. Uh, obviously first for MK Dons and then coming up through um, there and being signed by Tottenham. So he's been on the scene for a long, long time. And, and he is only sort of 24, 25, if I'm not mistaken. So he's still actually relatively young. Uh, and for a player coming towards his late 20s and the start of his 30s, that's when you would argue that a Premier League player is reaching his peak. Or some might suggest because Deli Ali started his career so early that he's kind of facing that struggle now at the age of 25. And that's kind of unusual because normally we see players go through that the, the rough patch at different stages of their career, perhaps not so early. So I don't think it's fair to suggest Deli Ali's level is... It is. I mean, I've seen some people say that he should get a loan to the championship. He's better than that. He's just he's just got a problem with application. I think Deli Ali. It's not about talent. Um, I don't want to comment on his attitude because I don't think that's fair. Because I'm not behind the scenes at Tottenham. But application, I think, is the key word because everyone knows he's got the ability. He doesn't apply that often enough. And we've seen him being given 45 minutes or, or first halves of games by Jose Mourinho this season. And he's not taken that opportunity. He's not grabbed the ball by the horns and shown everyone that he is the Deli Alley that can change a game and spin a game on its head at the flick of a switch. So I do think that there's still a player in there and it just needs to be coaxed out. And, you know, they used to call Mourinho Mr. Motivator back in his Chelsea days, early doors, when, you know, he'd be able to get something out of players which perhaps previously wasn't seen before. He'd make, you know, the thing is with Jose Mourinho is he can make you feel 10 feet tall or 10 inches tall. He's that sort of manager. You know, if he's going to squash you, he will squash you. And and we've seen it with the likes of, of Danny Rose at Spurs in the documentary, the Amazon documentary that's <laughs> talked about where, you know, if he doesn't take to you and you stand up to him, he'll either show you the respect you deserve or he'll just flatten you. And that's the sort of manager that he is. And something tells me that Deli Ali hasn't gone down the same route that Danny Rose went down. Something tells me that Deli Ali still feels that Jose's got a bit of an arm around his shoulder and maybe it's tough love from Mourinho and if that's the case um, it'd be interesting to see whether it comes to fruition again as you rightly say decent performance last night against Ludo but in all fairness as you mentioned it is not the most elite of opposition now they've got a game against Chelsea at the weekend this will mean so much to Mourinho because it's one of his former clubs it's also a title contender, potentially, um, who could be in the run-in for the top four as well with Spurs this season. So a victory over Manchester City and a win at Chelsea back-to-back would be huge for Tottenham and huge for their momentum and confidence going forward. Now, Deli Ali has scored goals against Chelsea before and scored in important matches before for Tottenham. And perhaps you wonder whether his performance against Luda Goretz has given Jose Mourinho food for thought in terms of whether to play him against Chelsea. Because... I mean, what a comeback and a return to the fold that would be for Deli Ali. What a return to the stage and a return to the front of people's minds if he can perform against Chelsea, one of Jose's old clubs, one a London rival, a title contender. I mean, that would be huge for Deli Ali, not just for him in terms of his confidence, but also for the faith from the supporters. Because I think although the supporters generally do like Deli Ali, they are starting to lose patience with him, and understandably so. I've got a couple of um, thoughts on Deli Ali. I just wonder. Um, if he needs to change the scenery, I just think you know, is it, him going to another club and getting in another dressing room? Because one thing that I I noticed on that documentary, which was very good by the way, I actually re- I really enjoy them documentaries that Amazon do. Um, he's a big voice in that Tottenham dressing room, isn't he? He's a he's a big influence in there, and I just wonder 
if he got in amongst it where he wasn't such such a big fish in that pond where he, he went to another dressing room where uh, he wasn't the alpha in there whether that that would be a good thing for him um i just think that to earn the respect again to a certain extent yeah i just i just wondered if there's you know I, i'm gobsmacked he's only 25 if, if that's if that's the age he is because he's been around for so long and yeah. I, I just i just wonder for him to put the defibrillator on his career and get, because he'll want to get back in the England squad as well, won't he? Mm. He'll have ambitions to play for his country again. He's not even twenty-five, mm. Steve. He's twenty-four. Twenty. And he's not twenty-five until April next year. Wow. So there's loads of time for him. I think he command a decent fee. I mean, I'm not saying he'd get the fifty, sixty million pounds that that you know some players are going for, but I think there's a there's a thirty-five, forty million signing for someone there, and I just wonder if. You know, someone getting a grip of him and kind of having a word in his ear and just going, "Listen, this is how we do things." at say, it's I don't know, at say Chelsea or, or or whatever. I mean, I know I'm just speaking hypothetically, but I think that's optimistic. Um, yeah, you know, but it's just um, I just think that this, he's going to be thinking, "I'm out of the England fold. I'm nowhere near that England midfield at the minute." Um, you know, there's there's I mean, there's probably seven or eight players ahead of him at least. I think. Uh, in Gareth Southgate's thinking, and I think he'll have ambitions to do that. And I think him being in, in and out of the Tottenham team and not getting a start, and if it is tough love or whether Jose's just just almost give up on him a little bit, is is remains to be seen. But he there is a player in there. I agree wholeheartedly. There's a player in there, but he's he's just got to find his rhythm again. And he's you know now just mentioned application that that could be it. And I think you know. Someone like God. Imagine if someone like Pep got hold of him, or, or Jurgen got hold of him. You know, mm. and the level that he he go to then. But I, yeah. I say, you know, the 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 jury's still out on on Deli Ali. I think he's got to do something to rescue his career. I think. You say a change of scenery, Steve, but it's not going to be to the Bulgarian top flight, is it? <laughs> he's better than that. <laughs> no, I think, you know... lovely. <laughs> I think, you know, but he might fancy himself going to, like, PSG or something, you know, mm. and, and playing games for PSG in, in a league where, you know, bar a few teams, bar your Marseille, your Monaco's and your Lille and people like that, he'd probably turn it up in that league and, you know, because people like Joe Cole have had success in that league. And um, <laughs> I just think that something like that for him because... I know he can come across as a bit of a knob at times, but I think there's there's a player in there still, and I just think he needs to revitalise himself. And I've just got to, you know, work out how he goes about doing that. Really, before we move on across London to Arsenal's three nil win away at Molder, Harry Winks, we mentioned his worldy goal that he scored. Niall, third longest range goal ever to be scored in the Europa League, which is pretty impressive. What are he the other two? Had- <laughs> I have no idea. I have no idea. But the it was the third apparently. But he admit he did admit afterwards it was an accident that it wasn't meant to be a goal. Just interested. Would you have made the same admission? Should you have been in that situation? I think I would have joked about it first. I would have said I would have kind of joked okay. on the interviewer and I would have said, "You serious? You trying to accuse me of of not doing that on purpose?" But you know, I think I probably would have admitted it. Um, I think people respect you more when you admit that you didn't mean to do it, which is why I'm still waiting for Ronaldinho Ooh. to admit that he flukily chipped David Seaman in the 2002 <laughs> World Cup. But that's never going to happen. And it kind of adds to the legend of Ronaldinho as well, the, the sort of the, the aura that that player has just purely because nobody really knows whether he meant it or not. Um, it's like when players that we've seen in the Premier League before, Giroud and Mkhitaryan, go for like scorpion kicks. You know they're trying to score a goal with a scorpion kick, but they can't tell me, like Giroud can't tell me that when he scored that scorpion kick, he tried to scorpion kick it onto the crossbar and into the net like you know he's probably tried to score but 
you're just trying to hit the target just trying to make contact exactly and i yeah. think he was just trying to pick out harry kane's run and he ends up picking out the top corner via the post and crossbar it's an unbelievable goal it's a freak goal um but i'm with winks on this one i think people actually do have more respect for players when they say listen it was a fluke but we'll take it it's like in snooker when they flukily deflect a red into the pocket and they actually hold their hands up to the opponent and they say sorry i didn't mean that um yeah, yeah. but then or again i always think tennis, like that. yeah i always think why would you apologize for potting the red in the pocket when you actually meant to pot a red in the pocket just mm. it didn't go in the way you wanted it to but anyway yeah i, I would have done the same thing i think Incidentally, that is five consecutive wins for Spurs now. It's their best run since November 2018. Let's move across North London. Arsenal, 3-0 away at Molde last night. Again, not the greatest opposition, but a really important win for Arsenal, Steve, considering the two games that have come before, where, for want of a better word, Arsenal have looked very poor. Well, last night they were playing against Didsbury Cubs, weren't they? Um, <laughs> in Molde. Um I think again, you know, like we like we've alluded to before, the opposition in, in the Europa League can be it can be quite high if you've got like an Inter Milan or or someone like that that you're playing with, or you can uh, play these teams that that just generally aren't a challenge really. And Molde are a team that Arsenal should put away without any problems I, I I mean the only thing I'm surprised about is that it was only 3-0 really you know given the golfing class between the two squads but they'll take that could have been a lot more to be um, fair I mean I get it was wave after wave of attack was it um, I think that they'll take that they'll move on I don't think Arsenal are in a position to win it this season I don't think they're strong enough I think um, we are coming to the end of that honeymoon period for Arteta I feel um, I think he's made some real strides and He's changing the culture at the club and he's he's signed a better quality of player. But I think that it seems like for Arsenal, it, it it's one step forward, two steps back at the minute still, doesn't it? And it's going to take a lot of patience. But don't they just need to be patient? Yeah, it's going to take a lot of patience. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. It's the end of the the end of the honeymoon period, but there's still such a long way to go with that project in terms of. I mean, you look at the makeup of that team last night, and there was that mix of youth and experience that everyone's wanted to see at Arsenal for a long time, and it's just a matter now of those young players that fit Arteta's idea of what an Arsenal player is can mature, and it's not going to happen overnight. We're talking, we're talking two years probably before yeah. that Arsenal team looks like. I mean, he's, it's not like when Pep went into City, and. Arteta and Pep are fundamentally very similar managers. Pep went into Manchester City with that Manchester City team having spent the last three years preparing for his arrival in terms of the personnel that were being brought in, but also in terms of the coaching of the Mm. young players that were coming through. Arteta's not had that luxury. So it is going to be two years or so until we really see the impact he's going to have. But are Arsenal fans that patient? I hope they are. I I think the lad deserves the time to to. You get that team, the club operating in the way that he wants. He, he's he's very bright. He comes across very well in the media. Uh, on occasions, they're playing great football, and and like I said, he's signing a better quality of player. I think Party is a, is a massive signing for them and a huge uh, coup for them to get a player of that calibre to come to Arsenal. Um, and I, I just think that yeah, I think he's been in the gig a while now, and I just think that people will start kind of saying, oh, we're not quite where we want to be. And I think they've got to stick with him. Um, but I've just seen, but I mean, obviously Twitter, I hate Twitter. I think it, it, it's a very toxic <laughs> place. And um, I just think that I was looking at it through it the other day and I thought, why am I on this? It's <laughs> 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 But 
it's uh, I'm seeing some of the you know you see some of the Arsenal accounts um, that are going round, and he's been getting a little bit of stick on them, not a massive amount. And I'm thinking, ah, you know, it is the signs that um, you know the the you know they are starting to get a little bit impatient, but they've got to just stick with it. I mean, I mean, my club obviously. Um, I've gone through that process as well where they've recruited a, a, a world-class manager and had to go through that pain barrier of getting to where they want to be and then ultimately through through some absolutely unbelievable dealings in the transfer market that in, and philosophies being implemented at the club, they've got to, it feels like Arsenal are very much in that moment. I'm not saying that they'll, they'll get to where, where Liverpool have got, but... I think patience, like you say, Jim, is 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 key here because they've got to stick with him, and I think they'll be all right. I think the problem that we have in the in, in the Premier League, if I just use that as an example at the minute, is the gulf between um, Liverpool and and I want to say Man City, but this season's form doesn't actually say that um, is is quite big, and I think to shorten that gap is is a really big ask. I guess what we can take away from that Arsenal game is probably the performance of Nicolas Pepe, Niall, because, yeah, I know it was Mulde, a Mulde, but given his recent indiscretions, given his form since coming to Arsenal, it's right that Arsenal fans are probably losing patience with him. But Mikel Arteta said after the game, you could tell that Pepe wanted to get into that game and make an impact. His body language was different. He was at it from the very first whistle. So why isn't he doing that every single game? I don't know. It's a really good question and one that Mikel Arteta is going to have to address and probably something that the Arsenal fans are tearing their hair out over. But certainly going into that Mulder game, as Steve rightly says, you'd expect Arsenal to roll over Mulder every single day of the week. But I think the key for Pepe was after his red card against Leeds with that stupid headbutt on Alioski. And I know Alioski reacted and the Arsenal fans will say, oh, well, he went down like a sack of spuds. It's irrelevant. Pepe put his head into Alioski, got sent off and he is going to be suspended for the next few Premier League matches. So he knew that this was his chance to kind of make amends. And I know it's against an opposition which you'd expect Arsenal to beat. But certainly Pepe went out into that game last night and showed that he is willing to make amends for his actions. Mikel Arteta, after the red card in the Leeds game, in his post-match press conference, was asked, what did you say to the player about the headbutt? And he just said, it's unacceptable. And I think that that is the sort of putting your foot down mentality that Arteta has um, that maybe is what makes him slightly different to Pep Guardiola because although Guardiola might do that behind the scenes I don't think we see him do that too much Um, and I think Mikel Arteta is really smart with the press as well and the way he answers questions he doesn't give too much away he says what he needs to say he's excellent he he really is And and he comes across as quite cold actually which is something that you wouldn't have expected from him so Certainly, I think his determination to do well is there. And I think that is kind of rubbed off on Pepe because Pepe will know his price tag and he'll know the the pressures that he's under um, as a record signing for that football club. And let's not deny, although Arsenal haven't been at the top of their game for a number of years now, they're still a massive football club. Huge. One of the biggest in this country, without doubt. And they've got a massive global fan base, which kind of stems from the invincible zero and before that so you know they've got an insatiable hunger at Arsenal that fan base to win stuff and rightly so they've been a successful club in years gone by and no they've dropped off that level and they need to kind of find it back again and Nicola Pepe could be a solution to that 
but not if he's going around headbutting people stupidly. So even though it was against Mulder and you can't read too much into a good performance, the fact that he showed that determination, as you say, Jim, the body language was there to make amends, to make things better and prove that he isn't just willing to coast through these games. However, you have to ask yourself, why did it take him to get sent off for that to spur him on? He should really have that excitement and intensity and intent to be able to do well for Arsenal every time he sets foot on the field. That hasn't been there. So maybe it's a motivational thing. Maybe he needs something to play for. Maybe you just need to make the guy angry um, to get him to play well. Some players you need wouldn't different like him things. when he's angry, Niall. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't like him anyway. I think he's been rubbish, to be honest. But in all fairness, every different player needs a, sometimes a different type of coaching. We spoke about it with Deli Ali a minute ago. He feels like the sort of player that needs round an, needs an arm around the shoulder rather than a kick up the arse. Maybe Nicola Pepe is the sort of player that does need a boot up the backside to get him to play well. And that's what Arteta has to figure out. We're going to take a little break now before we talk about the final team involved in European action last night. That was Leicester City and we'll tackle that game next on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Listen to the latest Premier League news, updates and match reports now. Just ask Open Sport Social. Welcome back to Football Social Daily, the only daily Premier League podcast. And thank you very much for your reviews recently. There's been some really nice ones that have come in, so keep them coming. You can leave us a review however you listen to podcasts, and we might give you a shout-out on the show, particularly if it's a nice review as well, unlike the one that I'm going to visit now, very briefly, (laughs) which comes from Ollie THFC, who is living in Japan and was a fan of the podcast until this week when he was outraged by something that was said on the show. Oh, I know uh, what it's going to be. Do you? What do you think it's going to be? Is it going to be, I said that Liverpool were top of the league when it was actually That's Spurs exactly and they what it is. got their pants down about it. Grow <laughs> up, Tottenham fans. I've even apologised <laughs> for it on the next podcast. This isn't This isn't going to ingratiate yourself to Ollie in any way by telling oh, him to grow away, up. Ollie. Let me read. Let me read you the review. He says, you said Liverpool reclaimed top spot after being after beating Leicester, but Tottenham are still top. Time to unsubscribe oh my after your mistake. And, oh it, and my it was a one-star dear. review from Ollie. See you later. Enjoy Japan. <laughs> oh, it's honest to God. If, if we're going to get people booting off about stuff like that i mean come on just goes I mean, to show 20, right tottenham fans how pathetic it is they haven't won a title for they haven't won a trophy that's our tottenham fan base <laughs> disappearing over the hill isn't it i even apologize for the mistake man unbelievable oh, if you want to leave a review for us then you can do that however you listen to podcasts you can say how much you enjoy the podcast and leave us five stars and still have a pop at Nile at the same time. It's okay, we'll read it. I thought it, it was we'll going to be a Man City fan having a go at me. Oh, yeah, plenty, plenty of them, Steve. That's <laughs> all right. We've, yeah, we've, you know we've slowly, over the course of the couple of years that we've done this podcast, Marley has alienated every single Burnley fan on planet Earth from, from his comments. Every Man City fan and United fan hates Steve. Now I've got Tottenham and Southampton fans hating me, which means that we've only got about 12 to go, lads, and we can get everyone hating us. Well, <laughs> you, you wait until we get onto Newcastle Crystal palace in a little bit that'll be two more ticks <laughs> off the list probably but let's talk about leicester city because they drew last night with sporting braga braga jesus christ why can't these european teams have proper names good old english names yeah three sporting sporting luton <laughs> it was three three for them and you've got to say steve leicester city having an absolutely fantastic season in the upper echelons of the premier Are league they? table yeah, I think they're having a great season. Last 32 of the Europa League. My concern is that 
they whether they can manage both things because we know how tiring mm. the Europa League can be. They're in the last 32 now. Is that going to have a knock-on effect on their Premier League campaign? Yeah, the Europa League's tired in for us to watch as well. Um, <laughs> but I think Leicester, are, um, you know, they're doing all right. They've got a great manager. Brendan Rodgers is, is a top, top manager who is... He's a, he's, he does a great job wherever he is, doesn't he? And I think that he's doing really a really good job of managing that squad and balancing it and rotating the squad because, all joking aside, the Europa League is a slog. Um, Thursday to Sunday is no, you know games are no fun. Going to the arse end of Europe uh, for places that we, we've never heard of to play games is is really taxing. And I think that um, it was obviously an exciting game last night because they've had to kind of you know rescue themselves. And I think that it, I think Leicester are, are really strange me because I was very fearful last Sunday night when they rocked up at Anfield and I thought when I seen the, the team that Liverpool were putting out to play. Leicester, I, I've in a WhatsApp group and I got absolutely slated after the game in it because I said I can't see us getting anything tonight against the Leicester side who've been, you know, playing quite well. They were so passive; it was untrue. You know, they didn't really um, uh, have a, have a proper go, and I think that's why I'm a bit reluctant to give them all all applaud. It's really because I think you know they, they were abject on Sunday night, and I think. He's got to decide. I don't think they can keep competing on the two fronts. In all honesty, I think it depends how far he goes into the Europa League. Because if he ends up going really far, and he might think that if he can pull off the incredible and win the thing, that might be his, his, his you know his entry into the Champions League. But I think that um, if they're kind of like second or third in the Premier League, he's probably going to have to make a decision. I think because. I think the schedule that we've got, I mean, the TV timings that are coming out for games are absolutely ridiculous at the minute, aren't they? Um, you know, with some of these European teams playing uh, on a Wednesday night and having 12.30 on a Saturday, um, it's it's really difficult. And I think that's probably something that's going to gonna help Leicester come unstuck, that, to be fair. I think to a certain extent, you might have already made that decision, Niall, in terms of where the priorities are, Premier League or Europa League. When you look at the lineup that Brendan Rodgers picked last night, there was... No Tielemans, no Vardy, no Madison. They all came on later on in the game to essentially rescue the point that they got. So, I mean, that's exactly what Brendan Rodgers has got to do, isn't it? He's kind of got to edge his way through these early stages of the Europa League. And then when you get to the quarters, when you get to the semis, that's kind of when you engage. That's when you start to take it seriously. And that's just how Premier Leagues have to cope with this. Yeah, that's the chess game of being a manager in the Premier League when you've got the Europa League and the domestic scene to contend with. And I think you're you're absolutely right, Jim. Those early games, you know, you want to be putting out a, a squad and a side strong enough to beat your opposition, but also not too strengthy. Not strengthy is not even a word. Not too strong um, <laughs> that you're going to end up picking up injuries, particularly when you're going so well in the Premier League. And I think the fact that Rodgers got so close to a Champions League spot last season, obviously it came down to the final day where they lost to Manchester United and ended up finishing fifth in the table, hence they're playing the Europa League this year. I think because they got so close last season, that will give Rodgers a little bit of extra motivation to go one step further and they've made a good start. And the problem was last year for Leicester City, as soon as the new year came, 2020, and I know how crap this year has been for everyone, but as soon as it turned uh, into January and they seem to drop off in terms of form and they never really rediscovered that form although they had done enough in the first 50% of the season to kind of maintain a top six spot and if they can make sure that they improve on last season in terms of their performances after the turn of the year 
there's no reason with the start that they've had in the season that we've seen from other sides in the Premier League that they can't finish in the top four and get a Champions League spot again. And that would be amazing for Leicester City. It'd be brilliant for Brendan Rodgers. But if I asked you boys this, are Leicester more likely to win the Premier League or win the Europa League? What would you say? Europa League. Well, sure. I, I don't Europa, know. That's diff- Europa that's diff- League. Yeah. Is it though? Is it different? Because you've got to think that Leicester City now, with the side that they've got, they'll be gutted, those supporters, if they can't turn this purple patch for the football club into some silverware. We saw it with Tottenham a couple of years ago, where they had a good side and they still couldn't get the job done under Pochettino. They got to the Champions League final, fell at the final hurdle. Now, it's all well and good, remember when we played in the Champions League, but I mean, it's better to say remember when we won the league cup or remember when we won the fa cup and they got to a cup final last year as well mm. let's not forget they lost the league cup final didn't they or the, the they didn't get to a cup final they lost the league cup uh, semi-final to aston villa and that was a huge chance for them to get silverware which they didn't manage to grasp so i think i'm not saying they should go for the europa league gung-ho but i'm saying that it's a good chance for them they're certainly mm. good enough to do it and Isn't the style element, of football they though? play i think suits cup football isn't there an element though that this if there's it, it's kind of like I've said before that this season has similarities to the 5000 to 1 season when Leicester won the title that big teams are underperforming Manchester City aren't at the races Liverpool aren't as good as they were last season and so it's one of those rare opportunities that Leicester City kind of have to try and take advantage of so if you're going to put your eggs in one basket it's very difficult then to go, well, we're not bothered about the Premier League. We're going to focus on the Europa. I think the problem is for Leicester is that even though City aren't in great form at the minute and and Liverpool have a mountain of injuries, um, they're still both better than Man- uh, both better than Leicester, I think, uh, as teams. And I think they'll, they're more likely to get runs of results going than, than Leicester City. And that's why, I mean, I can't say they, they won't do it because they did do it, <laughs> you know, under Claudio Ranieri. But I think that... I just expect, I think if there's going to be a surprise any, anywhere, I think it might be Chelsea or Tottenham, but I, I, I'm still going to kind of stick with, with one, of the, one of the top two of recent years to, to do it this season, I think. Steve has already kind of answered this one, Niall, so I'll throw this to you. But I think Brendan Rodgers is one of those managers who has been much maligned down the years, particularly since he kind of left Liverpool, he's kind of been mocked, despite the fact he's done very well at pretty much every club he's been at. Is it time to start giving him the credit he deserves? Because we saw last night what an effective football manager he is. He identified the issues that Leicester City were having in that first half, where they were definitely second best, and made formation changes and personnel changes that saw them then go and take a grip in the game and ultimately get the result that sees them go through to the last 32. So do we need to start giving Brendan Rodgers a little bit of credit now for what he can do as a football manager? Yeah, I think we do. I think Brendan Rodgers is a top manager. I think he's one of the best British managers out there and I think he's one of the best managers in the Premier League over the last two seasons and I think the statistics will back me up with that certainly in terms of league positioning to get Leicester to finish fifth Mm. last season um, get to a semi-final of a cup competition so I think that he's shown consistently that he is a top manager he did it with Swansea um, he got close with Liverpool and he got Liverpool within inches of their first title um, for a long long time so let's not underestimate the quality of the man and we've spoken about it on the podcast three or four times actually over the last uh, couple of weeks I mean I mentioned it on last weekend's preview podcast whether we should start giving Brendan Rodgers more credit because as you rightly say Jim since he left Liverpool he's kind of turned into a meme hasn't he you know saying character in his post-match interviews all the time and people take the mickey out of him and the way he speaks and what he says 
and you know, beautiful the, human being yeah exactly <laughs> stuff like that it's all well and good we can take the mickey out of him but he keeps delivering the goods in the dugout and you know you have to hold your hands up and give him credit so i think it is important we do give him a, a little bit of respect and you know you don't get a Leicester side with the players that they've got to that position if you're not a decent manager i mean you can have that squad and have someone else managing it and i think that squad finishes 10th and i don't think that's me being harsh um i think that's fair enough i think brendan rogers is responsible for leicester being in and around the champions league places obviously the players have got to perform and people might message into the podcast and say well how can you say that leicester have still got better players than some of the other sides in the top eight they do but it's about what you get out of those players and that's why Jurgen Klopp has been so successful for Liverpool, as Steve will tell you. You know, he squeezes everything out of even the most average players in that Liverpool squad and gets them to perform to a level which is only acceptable for him. And that is only acceptable for Liverpool Football Club. And he's built that mentality in the club, which has kind of led to such success at Anfield. We're seeing that, I think, with Leicester. I'm not saying that uh, Rodgers is the same as Klopp. I don't think they're the same in terms of the styles of management, but certainly... In terms of being able to squeeze something extra out of the players that he's got, I think Rodgers is able to do that. So, yeah, I do think he does deserve more credit and I think he's a very, very good manager. We're going to turn our attention to Premier League football again next, not just Premier League teams in Europe because there is Friday night football to deal with. It is Crystal Palace versus Newcastle and we're going to talk about that next on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. the latest Premier League news for your team just ask Open Sport Social Welcome back to Football Social Daily Premier League action tonight for two teams that find themselves maybe with disappointing seasons ahead of them Crystal Palace and Newcastle my, my first question is why is Friday Night Football always such crap games <laughs> they're always absolute rubbish the ones that people don't want I don't think Newcastle or Crystal Palace fans will have a problem with me saying that because these are two teams, Niall, that you have to say that there are very few teams in the Premier League that play less attractive football than them, are there? Um, certainly that was the case with Newcastle and on Floodlight Focus yesterday. We spoke to a guy called Steve Hasty who says he's been going to St. James's Park for a number of years. And, you know, particularly this season where fans aren't allowed in the ground, the scrutiny from watching games is even more intensified. And Steve Bruce has kind of sucked the life out of the football club because it's so negative. The style is negative. And uh, the example I used, and I think Marley used it as well when talking about Newcastle the other day, was they had a throw in in the corner. And three touches later, it was back at the feet of the goalkeeper Darlow, you know, and they had a throw in in Chelsea's corner flag area. And I think that just goes to show the negativity of Newcastle's style of play. So I think. Unfortunately for Newcastle fans, they're going to continue to be frustrated with this because I can't see them getting rid of Steve Bruce. And they've got players who are good enough to produce some decent quality attack in football. Looks like Callum Wilson could be back for this game tonight, which would be a big boost. He's still Newcastle's top goal scorer this season with six goals. Um, and they've got some quality in the side. Alan St. Maximin, speaking to Steve, our Newcastle fan yesterday on Floodlight Focus, he said that his head's down so much that it may as well be between his knees because... I think as well, St. Maximan's that sort of player. He can be explosive. He can be a match winner for Newcastle because he's got something that a lot of people don't have, which is trickery and explosive pace. We're not just talking general, he's a pacey player. This guy's rapid and with the ball at his feet, he can dribble like most other players in the Premier League cannot. And if you, this guy, who is quite an exuberant, confident character, as you can see with his Gucci headband and the way he interacts with fans on social media, if this guy, St. Maximan, isn't feeling confident then that is a, a, you know, that blunts a pretty deadly weapon for Newcastle. 
Um, obviously, Wilson's been injured, so they do have the ability to play attacking football. They've got the players to do it at Newcastle. They've got some of the best um, centre-halves, I think, in the Premier League in terms of as a unit. They've got three or four or even five competent centre-halves. I don't mean in terms of the standard of Van Dijk. Obviously, I just mean as a group. They've got some decent defenders who also have an eye for goal. Cher knows where the goal is. Uh, Fernandez has scored a few goals as well. So I think that they do have the, op- the option to play attacking football at Newcastle. But the fact that Steve Bruce isn't able to get that out of those players is a concern. So certainly tonight, I think we'll see a, a, a similar story, as you said, Jim, between two teams who who I wonder who will go on the front foot first. Um, and I think the substitutions might even be key in this game, particularly now that we can see five substitutes able to be made in the Premier League for the first time since the rule was passed. That, that, that could possibly happen tonight. So Hodgson and... Um, and Steve Bruce will have decisions to make and maybe those substitutes will sway the game. In terms of Palace, I think Zaha's going to be out again because he's still got coronavirus, so he's going to miss out. Um, Jeff Schlupp might be back for them as well, so we could see Eberé Eze play further forward in a in a striker's role. But their last game on Monday against Burnley, where they lost 1-0 at Turf Moor, Crystal Palace just lacked a cutting edge. And although Zaha, it's, I feel like it's so cliche to talk about him in every Palace game. Is he going to stay at the club? Is he going to leave? Whether he's playing or not, we always talk about him. And I think that just goes to show how integral he is to that football club, how important he is to that side, that even when he's not in the team and even when he's not available, we're still talking about him and the fact that Palace have a lack of cutting edge without him. So I think this is a hard one to call. It's certainly not one for the eye and not one for the entertainment factor, as you say, Jim. Um, but I'm not sure who's going to come out on top on this one there seems to be two different very different reactions from the fan bases towards their managers right now from Crystal Palace there seems to be an acceptance of Roy Hodgson and his approach to games in terms of they need to be pragmatic at this time they need to play within their means and maybe they see Hodgson passing the torch onto the successor at some point that will bring in better football whereas Newcastle are very very negative towards Steve Bruce at the moment do you think he deserves that Steve because at the end of the day they're 15th in the league they're playing poor football yes but this is a Newcastle team that most Newcastle fans thought were going to be struggling at the bottom of the table this season the thing is with with Newcastle it's always an absolute mess isn't it and that's that's the reality of it. it there's always some kind of disharmony or there's something going on and I just think that you know what is Steve Bruce's brief this season because they're trying to get someone to come in and buy the club who they can pass all the correct and appropriate procedures that, that the Premier League have got in place. I think his brief might be just to keep them in the Premier League at all costs uh, because they're a much more attractive proposition to um, a club in the Championship in terms of what they would get for the club. I think that he does need to um, look at his philosophy a little bit because, I mean, I've seen some some, some on Twitter about uh, fans being annoyed about how many shots that some of the defenders have had to block. They are a team that does invite that pressure onto them. And I think that mm. um, they have Most got... shots conceded on target in the Premier League this season, Steve. Yeah, least shots had as well. It, yeah, least fewest possession. Not... And Steve Bruce saying that the fans are generating negative energy. Right, yeah, they, they, the they, they, he deserves They're it. They're playing <laughs> shocking football. He definitely deserves it. Yeah, the, it's dreadful. And I think fans creating negative energy, what through the TV screens, um, <laughs> is just... It's just, I just think it's really difficult, but it's just, it's embryonic about what what is going on about Newcastle. I think that 
while Mike Ashley's at Newcastle Football Club, he's like this massive spectre and this big heavy blanket over the top of everything that they're trying to achieve. I mean, I was talking to uh, Phil, who obviously has contributed to the podcast quite a bit, about the new kit deal that, that Newcastle are doing, and it's an embarrassment. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm absolutely gobsmacked at uh, the commercial deal that they're about to do with, let's let's be totally honest with you, a, a complete no-mark company. And um, it just to get such little little money for for the kit deal for, from next season, it, and the Steve Bruce thing, the fans being un, unsettled and the club being unsellable, and and it's a disaster. And they've been sucked into this um, relegation fight because I'm just looking at yesterday on eleven points, um, and Sheffield United, West Brom, and Fulham are one, three, four respectively. But you know they have they, they've lost three out of the last six. Um, and I just think that there's real warning signs where Newcastle are concerned. But let me flip it on its head a little bit. If you haven't got Steve Bruce, who are you going to have? You know, who who's realistic? Who's a realistic shout for Newcastle United? Because you know you're not going to pull a top manager into that club. There's just no way that a top manager is going to go into that pool of toxicity that's going on around that club and think, you know what? I can come and I can make a difference. They're restricted in the transfer market. They've got a chairman who is an. Ab- I I think yeah. I think we we say a similar thing about Manchester United in terms of who'd want to go to Manchester United and Newcastle aren't Manchester United. I don't think it takes anyone to kind of point that out, but they still have an aura and they still have they? that passionate fan base that will. I think they do oh, to a certain extent. Listen. They've still got a fan base that will appeal to the fans. There'll be plenty of good managers out of work or in the Championship that will fancy the opportunity like who? to take on Newcastle yeah. with or without Mike Ashley at the helm. I get that, I get that. And I understand kind of both sides of the argument. But I'm not going to sit here and say Newcastle aren't a big club anymore because it's not true. Because they are, Jim. You're absolutely right. But I think in terms of on the field, Steve has got a point. Mike Ashley has been there so long that maybe that aura and element of Newcastle being a top seven top eight side chasing the Europa spots possibly getting into the Champions League getting to FA Cup finals like they did at the turn of the century that was 20 years ago that's a long time and in the last 12 to 14 years Newcastle United have not been up to much and that is the disappointing factor and I think that's why this disease of the Ashley ownership if you can call it that it's so important that they get rid of it and I think that's why the takeover collapse from the Saudis was so devastating because I think the longer that this goes on, that Newcastle are just a, a bit part Premier League side, I think that that can only damage their reputation, their ability to attract players. Now, everyone wants to play in front of 55,000 at St. James's Park. It's a stadium I've never been to that I'd love to watch a football match at. Everyone knows the passion yeah, of those Geordies. It's a one-club city, a city that size with that passion and that kind of working-class mentality. They are absolutely brilliant. And they've suffered with the football that they've had to watch. Now, they've not suffered in terms of the fact that their club's been through the ringer like some other football fans have, but they've definitely suffered in terms of the football that they've watched on the pitch has not been up to the standards that they expect. And I think that that does have an impact over time. It, it, it erodes away at the club's reputation. It erodes away at the club's prestige. It just er- it erodes their ability to be considered as a big hitter in the Premier League. I was League. just going to say now, that. Now, some might argue that Everton and Newcastle are similar-sized clubs. I would argue that Newcastle are bigger. But right now, if I was a Premier League player coming from abroad, where would I rather play? I'd rather play for Everton at Goodison Park because they've got Carlo Ancelotti as their manager, who's world-class. They've got James Rodriguez, who's a top player. They've got potential. Newcastle United should be looking at 
Everton with the green eyes of jealousy because that should be them. They should have a better owner in charge. They should have a better manager in charge. And they don't. And I don't think that's the fans' fault. I just think that that is something that's happened over time where the Ashley ownership has chipped away at the club's stature. I think it, and I, I think that's I think that's just how I feel about it personally. I think that Newcastle obviously they want to sell the club. Mike Ashley wants the club off his hands, and I just think that where he's going to try and sell the club is is detrimental to him. I think that um, obviously the people he tried to sell the club to, um, everyone raised massive red flags as soon as that company were involved in it. And you're right about Everton. I I look at Everton and Newcastle as being on a, a similar. Level, um, I think, you know, obviously Everton have, have probably got a bit more ambition about them, if we're going to be completely honest with you. There's, Newcastle should be able to pull in, a, you know, a top European manager and start signing players that can make a real difference in there. But but they don't. They're just happy to to kind of paddle around, you know, the, the outside of three or four places above the relegation zone. You know, middle of the bottom half of the league, and I just think it, it's really, really sad because let me tell you, I've been to Newcastle games uh, to watch Liverpool, and I've also been to a Newcastle game uh, at Turf Moor in the Newcastle end when they beat Burnley 2 1, uh, not uh, last season, I think the season before. And they are phenomenal fans, they are arguably the best fans in the country. They are unbelievable. From the very first minute, they were stood up on the feet. They did not stop singing songs about the team and backing the team. And that kind of loyalty and devotion is really, really rare because I've sat amongst my own fans uh, countless times at Anfield. As soon as something starts going wrong, there's rumblings and there's moanings and it's like, oh, you know, um, and you just do not get that with Newcastle. And I, I am passionately want them to get the correct donors to not be too successful, mind where they threaten our position, but um, I want them to be competing in the Europa League. I want them to have them European adventures. I want them to have them really special players that come into the club and get the fans off the seats, uh, like Saint Maximum. And it's it's tragic to see. It's absolutely tragic. And I just think that um, uh, I mean, I, to be getting into bed with the likes of Castori or however you say, is it, just absolutely bonkers commercially. Newcastle United are still extremely attractive and I think someone please come in and rescue this absolutely fantastic football club. We've got a little bit distracted from the fact there is a game tonight so just returning our attention to that slightly because there is a little bit of positivity for Newcastle to taper this negativity a little bit and that is the return of Callum Wilson who should be back for Newcastle tonight. How much of a difference is that going to make for them Niall? Because we talked about the attitude or the uh, the the emotions, if you like, of St Maximum at the moment, having Callum Wilson alongside him, that just offers another dimension going forward, doesn't it? Definitely does, yeah. I mean, he's their top scorer, as I said earlier on. Um, six goals this season, and he's a player who's proven to score goals in the Premier League, and he's done it for Bournemouth over the five-year period that they were in the top flight. Unfortunately, their stay in the top flight came to an end last season. I say unfortunately, I don't really care. Um, in all fairness <laughs> to Newcastle, if they can increase their attacking potential, then that's great for them. Um, whether that they can get balls into Callum Wilson is another story. I think that's what they've been struggling with. So it is a boost. I do think that increases their chances of winning the game. But it all points back to what I said before. If they can't get the ball to Wilson, then he may as well not be there. 
As Nar said earlier as well, Wolf Sahar missing tonight, which puts the pressure on Eze to kind of step up into that role. I guess he's kind of being shaped into Zahar's natural successor to a certain extent, isn't he, Steve? Yeah, absolutely. He's a really exciting player. I think, you know, really shrewd signing from QPR to, to get that piece of business done. And he's one that, you know, they can put, you know, be very, very optimistic about being the, the natural uh, her to the throne, if you like, at, at Crystal Palace. Because Zahar, it's funny with Crystal Palace because unless I actually look at the lineup of Crystal Palace and the look who's playing and stuff like that, I, I know very few of the players, you know, off the top of my head just to talk about. And I think that Zaha is the, the undoubted star of that team. But, you know, they, they will be looking to uh, for the mantle to be passed to, to Eze. And I think he's he's got talent in abundance and he's a very exciting signing for Palace. And I think, you know, there's a potential match winner in there as well. And I think, you know, fair play to him. It's good news for them. It's good news for, um, for, for his international career. And... Um, yeah, I think it might be worth a cheeky punt tonight to uh, get amongst the goals, I think. You reckon? Well, I was going to say, we don't normally do predictions on this podcast, mainly because whenever we do try and do predictions, we are so horrendously off the mark that it's a bit embarrassing at times. But I want to know whether either of you are willing to predict anything other than a nil-nil tonight. For me, Crystal Palace Newcastle, it's just got it's got nil-nil written all over it. What are you saying, Niall? I don't think it'll be nil-nil. I think it's going to be two-nil. 2-0 either way. Um, I don't know which way, but I, I, I can't... I, I don't know. I think someone will win this game. Let's just put it that way. Steve? Um, now you're asking me. And do you know what? I've had a fair bit of success recently as well, you know, because I, I don't bet stupid money. I only, you know, bet a bit of change now and again, but I've been uh, having a good time with it recently. And um, I just think... <laughs> Tips yeah, to Steve. I think that... Um, uh, ooh, with this one... Liverpool to win. Liverpool to win. Liverpool to win. I'd probably go... I'm going to go Crystal Palace. I'm going to go 1-0 to Palace. Okay, fair enough. Well, there we go. We've covered a few bases there, so we can't be that far off. <laughs> Whatever happens. Uh, that is it for today's Football Social Daily. Steve, Nile, thank you very much, boys. Cheers, guys. Cheers, lads. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast so you never miss an episode. And also, whilst you're looking for podcasts, if you're getting into the weekend, there is a brand new show we have launched today. It's called Football Stories, and it's me chatting to a load of people with good stories to tell from the world of football, including former Premier League referee Mark Halsey, former Manchester City youth coach Steve Eyre, and a former Chelsea Youth Academy player called Dan McCarthy, along with a load of other interesting interviewees as well so if you want to find that you can find it on our twitter account at the sports social all the links are there or just search football stories wherever you find your podcasts and we'll see you next time for another football social daily football social daily from sports social find us on instagram at sports social official i'm victoria cash thanks for calling the lucky land hotline if you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandslots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. 
The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.